Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's the 4th of July week, so we've brought all our Industry Focus hosts together for a roundtable discussion. This will be part three of our discussion. If you haven't caught the first two parts, please tune in to our, our discussions earlier this week. I'm your host, Nick Seifel, and today I'm joined in studio by Industry Focus hosts Shannon Jones, Dylan Lewis, and Jason Moser. How's it going, guys? Howdy. Hey. Good to have you all on here once again. We're going to continue our roundtable discussion. Uh, the next topic I want to talk about is our investing wish list. What is the company that is not available on the public markets today that if you could snap your fingers and invest in it today, that would be the one that you would pick? So, Shane, I'll let you go. Okay, Jason, we'll let you go first. Me? We'll switch up the order here. Man, I feel like I'm, you, you've been getting off easy. Yeah, going, going very on. easy, Jason. Little, well, I feel like this one, I may, I may take someone's answer here, so I apologize, but you sent it my way, so... Um, sometimes you got to deal with the choices you make. <laughs> um, okay, well, we want just one or a couple. Go nuts. Well, well I okay, feel like everybody wants Chick Fil A, but that just like is never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, for restaurants, talk about no competitive advantage. They're just restaurants don't have them. But that doesn't mean they can't be a good investment, right? I mean, I feel like Chick Fil A would be a good one because I think if I saw the data correctly, it's moved up to like the third largest restaurant chain by sales yep. in in the United States. And if you live near one, you know what I'm talking about. It's tough to resist. Um, but the one that I would really like to see would be Stripe, uh, the payments company. And Shocker. I think, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> touche. Um, I mean, it is it is the that to me would be that I would add that to the war on cash basket. I think because you know they are uh, doing a lot of things like what Square is doing, and Stripe is a big uh, provider for Shopify, and and you know that we we like that business as well. Um, so very square-like in what they're doing, pursuing obviously a massive global market opportunity. I'd love to see Stripe. Global. I don't think it will though. Yeah, for me, it's Palantir. Uh, I don't know if this is on any of your lists, but um, I'm interested in pretty much anything that Peter Thiel is interested in. Yeah. You know, he, he has a pretty good track record there. And by all reports, I mean we don't have a good sense of what the business looks like, but they're profitable. They work with government agencies, contract based, so the contracts are going to be there. Um, unfortunately, this business is not ready for the big show yet. They are still in the process of bringing a lot of the people on board that will allow them to go public. They need the independent board members. They need a CFO that's ready to do this kind of stuff. Um, and so I think they're going to be pushing out to 2020. But this is a really interesting business to me. I'm going to go with Grail. Um, this is the Google company uh, really driving the fight against cancer. Um, they're using next-generation sequencing to develop blood tests for early detection of cancer in patients who don't yet show signs or have a diagnosis. This is a huge area, huge unmet need still. Um, they recently just brought on um, Hans Bishop. He was the ex-CEO of Juno Therapeutics, which got sold to Celgene for $9 billion. It's a CAR-T company. Um, that last May, they actually raised $300 million in a Series C round Estimated valuation right now about $3.2 billion. Um, I like where this company is going. I must say, I'm a little hesitant anytime Silicon Valley tries to address <laughs> health needs. Um, so there's a little bit of skepticism there. But with the deep pockets, they've got backers like uh, Jeff Bezos, they've got Bill Gates. I think they're well funded to at least go after it more so than some of the other smaller players out there. Hopefully, they stay away from blood testing. Please, <laughs> I just please. Got, I just got done reading that book, Bad Blood. I oh, borrowed man. Shannon's copy. So good. I read that in a day. So entertaining. Riveting. <laughs> yes, I think all of us have read that and book. Infuriate. Yeah. Yeah. And infuriating. And infuriating. And amazing that people just bought in. You know, I mean, that beware of the herd mentality. Yeah. Just because yeah. everybody says it's a great idea doesn't make it a great idea. So true. Yeah, and just because you know people that you think are really smart and sophisticated investors <laughs> are in, like the Walton family and the Murdochs, and you know every Secretary of State since Nam. 
apparently. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just because all those folks are in there does not mean a, a good investment uh, it is. So get something to keep in mind. Well, they'll snipe me on a couple with, with Palantir and, uh, and, uh, and Chick-fil-A. But that's okay. I'll go, I'll go with uh, Airbnb. I think Airbnb is one I'm, I'm really excited to see. Founder-led really has shaken up the entire global kind of lodging market. I can't remember a vacation I've been on really in the past five years where I haven't stayed at an Airbnb. Um, it seems to me that for, for personal travel, it's really just changed the game. Uh, it's two-sided network effect, you know, both from a consumer point of view as well as the folks listing their properties. Just from a common sense, I mean, it's opened up or monetized these assets that folks weren't using, so vacant homes and things like that. Um, I think it's got a really huge opportunity. There are some concerns you might have on this business. They've run a similar playbook to maybe that Uber and Lyft ran in the past, where they've kind of been fast and loose uh, with regulatory issues and the places that they moved into. However, I think they've entrenched themselves uh, enough that, that they have strong enough network effects and a strong enough presence. They'll continue to grow over time. And uh, you know, I think it's going to be a great business to invest in. So, you know, we looked at Airbnb when we went to Costa Rica, and we ended up getting a place on Verbo, which is owned by HomeAway, which is owned by Expedia, right? I think I connected those dots. <laughs> but what I found was that the the user interface on Verbo, to, to, mm-hmm. to my finding and my wife thought the same thing, was far superior to Airbnb. Like the, the user interface on Airbnb just wasn't as good. But I guess the question is, do you feel like with Uber, I mean, do you feel like with Airbnb and Verbo, there's that same kind of dynamic with Uber and Lyft in great services. They've made our lives better, but will they ultimately be good investments? I mean, I, I just don't know the economics of the business as well. I guess. As someone who's used both platforms, um, I really don't care which platform there yeah. are because I'm looking at ultimately price. Yep. Um, and so I don't think there's enough differentiation between the two right now for me to say, you know what, Airbnb is a better investment than uh, VRBO. Um, I do think, I mean, they're filling a niche. I think their valuation, though, has them like $35, $38 billion. I mean, that puts them, just for perspective, more than Expedia, Hilton, um, and just under where Marriott and Booking.com are. That's huge. Um, Not to say that there's not that market out there, because they have created really, um, really this sharing economy. They've really been able to drive that. But this is a company where I really a space I just don't see enough differentiation in to make a good call in terms of investment. Yeah, I think that they don't have to deal with a lot of the other issues that some of the gig economy businesses do. And and yeah, I mean, there's some price sensitivity, but what I will see often is a place is listed on Airbnb and VRBO. And, and so, I don't know that the exclusivity matters quite as much. The the price sensitivity matters quite as much. It's not like uh, Lyft and Uber where you'll pull up the app and see who's giving you a better fare and it'll be slightly different. Yeah, I think, and you know, I, we haven't seen the numbers from Airbnb yet, so to really know, you know, in depth how uh, you know how the economics are shaking out for them, it's tough. I will say, for me, I feel like I use VRBO for if I'm going to the beach or something like that, or I'm going to stay in more of like a higher end vacation rental. I, I tend to think of a VRBO for those sorts of things, whereas Airbnb is the first place that I go. Um, but I, to your point, I think I think it's more mindshare than anything. That's Airbnb's advantage: it's scale and mindshare. Um, but you know, we'll see when the numbers come out whether uh, what I perceive to be the market opportunity is lined up with what the real financials are going to be. Um, all right, the next segment we're going to do, and uh, it's kind of stolen from uh, I guess market foolery as well as um, as well as Jason, you do that on your show, which is our one to watch. What's on your radar stock that you're watching right now? Uh, we'll run around the horn. I'll let Jason, you go first. So we'll stealing around here, man. Yeah. <laughs> this is a sharing economy. I mean. <laughs> Um, yes, well, so one that I was talking a lot about at Fool Fest, and I will, I, I think I 
who's claimed it to hear from my talking there that is also a recommendation that I put out there for the new augmented reality service is a company called Autodesk. And they essentially, this is just, you know, this is like CAD software, 3D software. It's, it's the engineering space. These buildings that we occupy, the planes that we fly, and even some of the movies that you watch with those cool special effects, uh, these, these engineering companies are helping uh, that cause. Autodesk is one of them. And um, a lot of neat aspects to the business, I think, this, they recently changed their business model around uh, to, to more of a subscription-style offering. And I think the uncertainty there played out a little bit on the share price, but it's, it seems to be recovering nicely. It's still only about a $37 billion company. So, in relation to the market opportunity that's out there, um, I think a lot of room to run, and they have a great demonstrated track record up to this point. So, the ticker there is ADSK. So that was also my stock to watch. <laughs> Whoa! No way! Wow! Because yeah. I tape a lot of shows with Brian Feroldi, and he is well, Brian like, and I were doing a lot of the research into some of these names. And Autodesk, he and I both shared, uh, you know, that's a too lot funny. of positive thoughts about that one. And so yeah. that is that is funny. We, and it's worth noting, we, you and I did not. This this is yeah very matter of factly right here, right? <laughs> Double just, rare oh, buy well. alert. <laughs> well, why don't we skip over to Shannon and we'll give Dylan a second to come up with another I love idea. That. Sounds good. All right. Um, the company on my watch list, very high on my watch list, I would even say probably the top one right now, is a company called Regenx Bio. Its ticker symbol is RGNX. Um, it's really supplying many of the biotech um, gene and cell therapy space right now with what are called viral vectors. When you think about um, gene therapy, you have to have something to deliver all of that genetic payload into the cell. This company is making those viral vectors to do that. Um, so this is a company where I feel like they can win on their own. They've got their own development platform, but because they're supplying the industry, even if those drugs don't make it to market, they're still making money, um, which is what I like. So they've got a platform therapy. It's a proprietary portfolio of over 100 viral vectors um, that can address potentially over 6,000 disease, diseases caused by genetic mutations. That's a huge wow. opportunity. Um, they did get an important validation of their platform with Novartis, who uh, managed to get an FDA approval on a gene therapy that was approved in May. Um, now they've got milestone payments coming in. They've got royalties. I highly expect more partners to come on board and start using their rival vectors. Um, I mentioned they've got their own internal drug development program underway. Right now, market cap is $1.8 billion, so really tiny compared to the addressable market here. Um, cash looks really good, $444 million. Um, this is before the milestone payments and royalties have really started to kick in off of that Novartis deal. So you've got plenty of cash, minimal debt. Platform technology, you've got partners. It checks a lot of the boxes that I like to see for these biopharma players. All right, I'm ready. I'm back. I've got another. <laughs> Quick on I've, I've got something. Uh, but I'm not going to tread too far from Autodesk, uh, kind of a similar space here. I think Adobe is worth oh, looking yeah. at. Um, it, it's similar in a lot of ways to Autodesk, a lot of the same reasons uh, that we like those companies. Um, you know, software is a service company, it is the de facto provider of the best software in that space. You can't really disrupt someone who is industry standard, and I think for most creative fields, the Adobe suite is the go-to uh, suite. Uh, their margins are crazy; it's like eighty-six percent gross margins. I think Autodesk is like eighty-nine percent gross <laughs> margins. So you got me there, Jason. Very scalable business, <laughs> but nice scalable businesses, recurring revenue, all the kind of stuff that you want to see. I think it's not something that is going to be putting up crazy, crazy returns. It's a fairly large company at this point, but if you're at all worried about you know uh, buying something that's high growth and then having the market take a dip. I think this is a business that has a pretty high floor on it because so many people need it for their jobs. 
Yeah. If you're a graphic designer and the market tanks, you can't not buy Photoshop. <laughs> like you just you just have to have it. So mm-hmm. have it. so uh, yeah. So mine is uh, Redfin. Uh, we talked I talked about this on the show with Tim Byers maybe a month ago. Uh, one of my favorite companies right now. If you're not familiar with it, it's a technologically powered real estate company. Their mission is to redefine real estate in the consumer's favor. Their major disruption is they're just disrupting the real estate brokerage industry. So traditionally, uh, brokers have charged about two and a half to three percent on either side of the transaction for fees. Redfin is is using its its technology platform to charge lower listing fees, about a one to one and a half percent listing fee. They they pay their brokers uh, a salary. And benefits, which is a different dynamic than a broker who is in the traditional model, where they're getting paid 100% based on commission with no salary, with with no benefits, uh, and you basically have to pay your health care. So, uh, from the consumer side, it makes a lot of sense you're getting a lower price, uh, particularly as we see uh, the entry level home market um, is really starting to see a swing up. So, the average or the median age for a first time home buyer going back 25, 30 years has been 32 years old. The average millennial is 30 and a half. Millennials become the largest segment of the population here this year. And so there's some, some demand there on the low end of the housing market. When you look at a company like Redfin, the most price sensitive folks on, on the entry level of the market, the folks most willing uh, to kind of do things on their own online creates kind of a, a natural market for Redfin. As well, they're pushing out into other services. So they're pushing out into Redfin now, you know, the Folks refer to it as a home flipping service. Will charge a seven percent fee to buy the home outright and then turn around and sell the home. I think on every one of those transactions they participated in to date, they've been profitable, been very conservative uh, about rolling that out. Moving into other parallel services across the real estate industry, mortgages, title services, and able to as they acquire these customers, have more and more products they can sell them, which gives them opportunity to grow. They're about a one and a half billion dollar business today had 487 million in revenue in 2018 versus uh, overall US real estate commissions of 80 billion dollars they're one and a half billion dollar company today with an 80 billion dollar addressable market when you look at their market share relative to the to the US real estate brokerage industry they're about 0.8% so lots of runway for them to grow a clear uh, value proposition both on the consumer side as well as on the broker side and the management i, I think is really strong a great culture there glenn kelman has been there uh, for a long period of time, and has really focused the company around culture. You see a lot of these tech companies where they say, hey, we've got tech, everything will work out. Uh, they're focused on, hey, we have, we have tech, but we're leveraging the personal relationships that our brokers have with folks to build our business over time. So I think a really big opportunity, still not profitable yet, but a really big opportunity to grow into and uh, a market that it seems appealing to them. I think we just got Nick's tight five right there. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you were a stand-up comedian, I, I sit next to you and say, I've, I've heard about Redfin, I think, for like the last two or three months between you and former industry focus host Michael, Michael Douglas, Douglas talking it up. Oh yeah, goodness, he loves yes. that business. So maybe do for a deep dive. Yeah, it's getting it's getting hot. Yeah. Uh yeah, I think I think when I when I had Tim Byers on and we talked about Red Fan, that's probably the most bullish I've done on a show. So I don't know. You know it takes so, a uh, lot to yeah. make Nick overwhelmed by something or just to be bullish or just like something. So consider hey. that your double rare buy alert right there. Yeah, double double secret buy alert. Hey, they can't all be winners, folks. Okay. They can't all be winners. Okay. All right, last thing we'll do for fun, because uh, it's 4th of July week, and you want to do something a little bit non-investing related. I've done this a few times on my podcast. Also super appropriate for being July 4th week. Do your Mount Rushmore, your top four. Uh, and for this one, we're going to do our top four July 4th activities. We'll go, so we'll go, uh, we'll go sneak draft. So we'll go, I'll pick, come back around, and then, or no, we'll JMO pick, and then I'll come back around, and then I'll pick twice, and we'll go back around okay. like so. So Mount Rushmore, July 4th activities. Boy, I mean, given my Number druthers, one. I'd be out on the golf course first and foremost. 
You think so? Sure, but I can't. I've got a family and stuff at home. So, I, you know, golf comes for when I'm older and the kids are out of the house. I see. You even know? even on the holiday. Why not? I mean, you go play early in the morning and then you come home and you do those other activities. Yeah. Right? That's, so that's what I've heard from every parent ever about golf. What? It's like it's the time to get away from the family. Well, okay. Let me be very clear. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the family listens now, guys. I've been playing golf for way longer than I've ever been. Turn it off, Robin. I Turn it love off golf, but I'm never trying to actually get away from my family. It's just trying to diversify my day, yeah. right? And there's so. That was very artful. <laughs> very artful. <laughs> Welcome to the spin zone. Yeah. <laughs> I think my uh, Mount Rushmore activity is buying a Bud Heavy patriotic can i think that has to be on the list it's the only yep. time of the year that i will uh, drink budweiser but i feel like it is perhaps the most patriotic thing you could do on july 4th i can't even picture you drinking a budweiser so that's just fascinating <laughs> yeah. to me yeah whoever designed that that flag can you know they deserve some big bucks yeah i think for me beach bumming it out i have to be on the beach i want to sleep on the beach i want not to be bothered on the beach i'm all about the beach all right so i so i guess i have two since we're, we're gonna snake it uh so for my first pick it's just wearing obnoxious American flag apparel. I think everybody has that, particularly if you're like a 90s kid. Your parents always got you the old Navy old American Navy. flag T-shirt. I've graduated from that with like, you know, more more obnoxious, obnoxious clothes. So I think you've got to show your patriotism with, you know, and you have to be a true American. So be very aggressive with showing your patriotism. So that, that, that's number one. I think number two along those same lines is you've got to play obnoxiously patriotic music. I'm talking about Toby Keith. I'm talking about Team America, World Police. I'm talking about proud to be an American. You got to play that as loud as you can in public without shame while drinking your Budweiser American flag beer can. Those are my two picks. Shannon, what's your number two? Got to be illegal fireworks. If you are not shooting off fireworks somewhere illegally, you are not doing the 4th of July, right? I'm from North Carolina. We always ran from the police. That's what we do. I can't believe that grilling made it back around to me in the second round. I hope I didn't steal that one from you, JMO. But yeah, I mean, I, I love to grill, period. And I really love to do it outdoors on July 4th, just having an awesome time with friends. Agreed. And as I said, this is a sharing economy. So I, too, <laughs> am going to go with grilling. And you know you can't be grilling if you're not sidled up to that grill with a nice cold beer in your hand. So grilling, drinking beer. And I'm going to go ahead and throw my fourth out there because I love the illegal fireworks. Illegal just makes it that much more fun. <laughs> it's much more fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think we're getting kicked out of the studio. Yeah, I'll give you my last one just because I want it. Being on a boat. Ah, Just yes. being present on a boat <laughs> while other human beings aren't on a boat, particularly if you can do it on the most patriotic 4th of July holiday while wearing your obnoxious American flag clothes, playing obnoxious music, and drinking your Budweiser American. What better way to do it? Love it. Happy 4th, folks. Thanks for listening. And uh, as always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For the whole industry-focused crew, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and full on.